Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's Word. Enjoy the message. Please stand, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. Been here the last couple weeks, you know that we've begun a series. We're going through this letter to the Corinthian church, and God is using it to impact our lives. Today's message is going to be beginning in verse 18 and then going through the last verse in this chapter, verse 31. But as we begin the message, we will begin by just reading verse 31, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 31. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Lord, over these next few moments, open up our hearts to your word. Holy Spirit, we need you to get what you are wanting to deposit in us so that we are ready to go into this week and the next week and the next week with truth and with your power. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Let the one who boasts I have to admit, beginning of this message, that I do have a boasting problem. Uh, in certain areas, no, but in certain areas, yes. It has to do with my friend who is my neighbor across the street, Craig. I don't boast during the summer months because his yard literally looks like a golf course. I stand no chance whatsoever. So as I've told you before, sometimes I've gone over there when he's not looking and just, just stepped one step in. Just like, that's what it feels like. Wow. I don't boast at all during the summer, but when we get to the fall, I can hold my own with blowing leaves. I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty good. And then we get to the winter. We get to the winter, and it is really next level because I kind of take pride in getting out there before my neighbor and friend Craig and doing our driveway and the sidewalks, getting it all done, looking at all, looking so nice, and try to get out there first thing. And uh, it happened just a few days ago. You know, we get the big snow, and so I get done, go back inside, and then peek out the window. There comes Craig. And so immediately I begin to brag to Lace, hey, Lace, guess what? Guess who's coming out of their house right now? A little late to the party. My friend Craig over there. Already got it done. I, I, I literally, I don't know why I said this, but I was like, I am a trendsetter. That's what I, that's what I said. Isn't that sad? That's so sad. But what are, what are some things that you're proud of? What are some things that you take pride in? Maybe it's your golf game. It's an ability. Maybe it is something that you have built with your hands, something that you figured out. For Lacey, she takes pride in getting a really good deal at the store. Anyone like that, you know, it's like half price plus 40% off, plus 10% off, plus they just asked her to take it for free because she's so awesome. She, she takes pride in that. And as a society, there are things that I'm seeing that we're, we take pride in. We take pride in our advances in medicine and technology and travel. I mean, think about it, 150 years ago, they could not have dreamed of passenger flights to Florida, let alone passenger flights to space. Come on. We're proud. We boast of our, our, our advances in knowledge. I love a good bookstore, but I walked out of one recently. Lace and I talked about it. I was like, look at all that vast knowledge. A hundred years ago, they wouldn't have access to all that. And then we realized, yeah, but there's even more accessible on our phones. We have increases in knowledge, increases in freedoms. 
And as a society, we boast of that and think, look how far we've come, look at what we're able to do. What we see in the scriptures, in this letter to the Corinthians, is that boasting is not a new sport. These Corinthians were really proud of themselves about a number of things. Their chests were puffed up with pride about their church. They were so proud of their church. They, they, they were proud of themselves because they were on first name basis with several apostles. That's pretty cool. And they thought so. They also were proud that spiritual gifts at times were in operation. They, they were proud of their tolerance and inclusion. We'll get to that in a few weeks. They were even proud of their vast knowledge and understanding. They really thought that they were something great. And the Apostle Paul, at the very beginning of this letter, just comes out of the chute and he hits hard and he hits fast regarding the only thing truly worth boasting about. And it's the cross. More specifically, what Christ accomplished on the cross. And it's interesting because the cross is really the last thing that anyone would ever boast in. And crucifixion is known to be the worst way to die in the history of humanity. It was gruesome. It was brutal. It was so gruesome and brutal that a Roman citizen could not even be considered for crucifixion in the Roman world. It was too terrible. It was too horrible. Not, their citizens would not even be considered for that type of execution. It was so uh, horrible that in normal conversation, the word crucifixion would not even come up among the Romans. It, it would be similar to sitting down with your little kids for dinner, your grandkids, and, you know, pass, pass the tater tots. And, hey, little kids, did I tell you what happens to a person when they're strapped to an electric chair? Like, you would never do that, right? You don't want to scar them for life. You would never do that. That's how it was in that society. As pagan as that society was, crucifixion, although it happened, was not something that they were even proud of. It's not something that they would even talk about. And we have our cross necklaces and our cross tattoos, but we have to understand something, that the cross is actually humiliating. Jesus was fully naked hanging on that cross. His beard had already been ripped out. His head was dented from the repeated blows of the staffs. His flesh was hanging off of him. His bones were visible. There were spikes that were pounded again and again into his tendons and ligaments and his hands and feet. I mean, this was the last thing that a society would boast about. In fact... Paul went so far as to say that the message of the cross is actually absurd and illogical to the unbeliever. Verse 18 now, please go with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul writes, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And the world says, look at us. Look at our intelligence and our technology and our innovation. Look at our ideas and our ideologies. Look at all we've accomplished, all that we've figured out. We don't need God. And then a pandemic hits. I believe that pandemic was 2020, exhibit A of verse 19 in 
our text today. In fact, during 2020, the Lord reminded me of this scripture, and I could continue to think about it as we went through that year. Verse 19, Paul is referencing a prophecy that was recorded by Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9 in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before. And it says this, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And I believe that the pandemic was an example to all of us of the intelligence of the intelligent vanishing. Every one of us were trying to figure it out. We all had our opinions, and none of them were 100% right. And we found out that no one else cared what our opinion was. Even as we looked at at leadership, there were some, some great plans that were laid out and some great paths, and they all fell flat, didn't they? People were still upset. People were still divided. People still died. And in 2020, we saw verse 19 of this text absolutely be laid out and played out right in front of us. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. So many solutions were offered and they fell flat. And what is the answer then? If it's not our intelligence and our plans, what is the answer to our problems and our pandemics and our pride? The cross. See, Paul was on this mission at the beginning of this letter. It was to dismantle the Corinthians' ill-placed confidence in man. He's like, we got to get this taken care of at the very beginning of this letter. Here's what he wrote in verse 20. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. What was preached? Christ crucified. Now, let me share it with you from the message paraphrase. It might help you to understand more of what Paul just said. It reads like this, since the world in all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered stupid, preaching of all things, to bring those who trust him into the way of salvation. Not just preaching or communicating, but preaching of the cross, preaching of Christ crucified. See, the humble nature and the gruesome reality of the cross was straight-up weakness to the Jewish hierarchy. And it was straight-up foolishness to the Greek academia. Paul writes this, verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So why was the cross a stumbling block for the Jews. In other words, why were the Jews offended by talk of the cross? It was because they were searching for, looking for, longing for, believing for a Messiah that would come as a military leader and snap his fingers and the Roman oppressors would be gone, wiped off the face of the earth, and they would then be in power. They would then have peace through military prowess. Even though the Old Testament kept foretelling the suffering Messiah, the suffering Messiah, 
the one who would give his life for his people, the one of peace, the lamb. Even though the Old Testament is just foretelling this again and again and again, the Jewish people, even though they knew the Old Testament, some of them had the entire Old Testament memorized, they could not accept in their minds the thought of a suffering Messiah. That to them was total weakness. And when the religious leaders asked Jesus for a sign from heaven, you know what he gave them? The cross. Why was the preaching of the cross foolishness to the Greeks? Well, it's the same reason why Marvel movies are so exciting and so popular. I know many Marvel fans might be here in this place tonight or today and you, you've watched one of those movies and you've contributed because those movies have grossed over $17 billion over the last few years. Very, very popular. You might even have your favorite character, Captain America maybe, maybe uh, Black Widow, Black Panther, Ant-Man, whatever it might be. But the reason why those are so popular is because there is someone who has some superhuman strength and they use it, hopefully, to help other people. The Greeks were living way before we came to Marvel movies. And they had their heroes as well. Same concept. The, 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 the characters and their legends, the champions of their legends, were also those who had superhuman strength. And they did different feats in order to save people, in order to rescue people. And then... Jesus comes along and dies on a cross and rises again, and he is then preached in the known world, and people are hearing about this, and to the Greeks, they're like, that's not hero material. That's not hero material. You're telling me this person that you're talking about and this person that you serve, he never threw one, one javelin, he never flashed one sword, he never put it through anybody, and you're telling me this is your hero? To them, that was not hero material. That was straight up, in their words, nonsense. How could they follow someone like that? They, they believed in those that superhuman strength and they would beat down other people in order to help others. And Jesus comes like a lamb to the slaughter and willingly allows himself to be nailed to a tree. The Jews are like, that is weakness. That's weakness. We want a military power. The Greeks were like, that's foolishness. That's foolishness because we want a a hero who wields a sword. And so Paul is trying to uh, disciple these Corinthian believers and remind them of the fact that if you're going to boast in something, it needs to be in the Lord. If you're going to boast in something, if you're going to grab hold of something, if you're going to embrace something, it's not the, the wisdom of the world, it's not the ways of the world, it's actually the cross. And to the Greeks and to the Jews and maybe to people even today, the cross seems foolish, archaic. And why in the world would God choose something that is despised in culture? Why would God choose to use something that was shameful in culture? Why would he choose to use something that was looked at as the weakest thing in culture or the most foolish thing in culture? Why? 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 Verse 29, you can look at it and you can underline it, put a star beside it. 
Here's why. God chose the cross so that no one would boast before him. So that no one would boast before him. See, the cross is what nobody saw coming. No one could have foretold that in their human strength and ability and intelligence. No way. They, they, they never would have scripted that out. There was no kid who was writing a story of a hero and writing about the cross and a savior. No, 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 no. God dying on No one would have come up with that. But what we saw was the very wisdom and the power of God on display. In fact, it was God's genius on display. Only God could not just pull that off, but only God could come up with that idea. I'm going to use in that time period what is the lowest, the most shameful, the most despised, the most humiliating thing. And I'm going to use it to accomplish the greatest thing that could ever happen in the history of mankind. And that's salvation. Salvation for anyone and everyone who would believe. It's God's genius. And the message of the cross, Paul is saying, is power. It's the wisdom of God. The message of the cross changes everything. It changes everything. First of all, the message of the cross changes our past, our present, and our future. It changes our past, our present, and our future. It is because of him. This is verse 30. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. Man has wisdom. Man has intelligence. And it's great. And we've made airplanes and, and, and all sorts of things. Actually, I didn't help with that. But some other really smart people did. We can cut open a chest cavity. And what? They, they take a heart and they fix it somehow. And they put it back together and they sew her up. Like how in the world? We've got wisdom and intelligence as God provides that. But God's like, through Paul, he's like, look, look man's wisdom is, is here. You know, it's not like God's like, man, your wisdom's down here. It's like, it is like lower than low, lower than low. And God elevated his wisdom, showcased his wisdom by doing what he did on the cross. And it changes because the cross is powerful. The message of the cross is powerful. It pulls down strongholds. It changes our past, our present, and our future. That was God's plan. He didn't go with man's plan. What's man's plan? Work hard. Earn it. If you want to get ahead, get up earlier. If you want to stay ahead, stay up later. That's man's plan. Right? If you're sorry, what? Prove it. If you've got a problem, overcome it. Come on. Make it happen. That's man's plan. And what Jesus essentially said is that you can't. You can't. The only way you can make it to God, the only way you can make it to be right with God is solely through God's goodness. Solely through his power, through his wisdom and what he has accomplished. Zero effort on our part. That's not man's wisdom. It's work hard, and then you get paid, right? You do well in school, then you get the good grades. That's man's plan. And God's like, no, 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 we're going to do this different. No effort on your part, just a gift. Jesus, the Son of God, dying on the cross so that you could have right relationship with God, so that you could be set free, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be promised an eternity with him forever. It changes our past, our present, and our future. And we see this in the, the rest of that verse, verse 30, which is, 
I keep saying this, but this has to be one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is what? He has become our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. You see, this is the good news. We're not that good. But he is. And King Jesus became our righteousness, meaning our standing before God was guilty, now innocent. It was rejected, now it's accepted. We have been accepted, embraced by God, not because of our good works. Are you serious? But because of God's good work on the cross on our behalf. He's our righteousness. He's our holiness. The Holy One made us holy so that we could live holy. He became our holiness. He set us apart as we join in with him through relationship with him, through our faith. We become holy. He's our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Hey, our ransom has been paid. He redeemed us. He redeemed us. New Living Translation says verse 30 like this. Christ has made us right with God. He has made us pure and holy and freed us from sin. All him. All God. Sometimes we like to take compliments. Hey, you're a good person. You have nice abilities. Nice what you said here or did there or whatever. But really, come on. We can't take credit for even breathing. That's why Paul says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's why Paul said uh, later on to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory or boast in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul had a lot to boast about. He had all the accolades, the money, the degrees, the influence, all that stuff. And he's like, God forbid that I should ever, 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 ever take credit for anything. God forbid that I should glory or put my pride in anything other than the cross. Of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? It's like all because of God. All because of God. I think that's how you can tell when there's a genuine move of God. It's all God. It's all God. I, I, I've just been praying and seeking the Lord and loving what's happening in, uh, on campuses all over our country right now. And we've had some heartache happen on campuses and we pray for those who, who are struggling, those who are hurting, who have been traumatized. And at the same time, God is doing a work on campuses for those who are seeking him. And it is incredible. It is incredible. I'm talking days and days and days of prayer and worship that isn't stopping. We're talking not just one college campus, but many college campuses. We're not just talking about a Christian private school, but on secular campuses as well. God is moving. And one of the things that is so powerful about this, as I'm just seeing from afar, and, and I talked with one student who's on a campus right now experiencing a move of God, I, I, I have to say that it's, it's so pure. There's no big-name speaker that... God used to start something. And God can do that. He can do whatever he wants. There's no famous worship team or worship band or a certain song that's like, oh, that's what did it. No, what's happening is God's doing it. God's working in hearts and God is doing it among our young people. Once again, God's wisdom. What would we say? Oh, we need to have a certain politician and, and then we'll have revival. We need to have a certain leader, and then we'll have revival. We need some people to change their ways, and then we'll have revival. We need my coworkers. You see what I'm saying? Man's wisdom, guys. Man's wisdom. God's wisdom is 
pure. And it's a work in people's hearts that is profound and profoundly simple. I'm talking about those. And I've heard testimonies of those struggling with anger, gripped with anger after what they've experienced as a young adult and what they've seen in our society over the last few years. Maybe how they've seen their parents argue about what should be done. And they've seen us have conflict and division, and anger, 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 and God reaching in and saying, I'm taking that away. And there's peace. I believe that's how you can tell when there's a genuine move of God is that it's God. God gets all of the credit. And may God continue to do a work, a revival work on every college campus in this country and even around the world. And I've been praying for you as well. God, don't pass us by. Because we need a fresh touch of God. And if it takes young adults or it takes a five-year-old to start what God wants to do, and they're the ones that are that open to God and what he wants to do, bring it on. It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be you, right? We need God. Our country needs God. Maybe we've been talking about it too much instead of praying about it. And God is on the move. He is changing lives. He is reaching into these young adults and he is changing their past, their present, and their future. He's forgiving and restoring their past. He is showing them something that they've never seen before in their present. And he is calling them to a future. And what I'm hearing is that there is a fresh urgency even among young adults for the return of Jesus. That's what I'm hearing. May God continue to do a work. And why is he doing it? Because he is wise. And he is loving. And he is powerful. And he will prepare a people for his return. The cross changes our past, our present, and our future. Secondly, the cross changes what is possible. The cross changes what is possible. So much in life seems daunting, does it not? Have you ever caught yourself saying or thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. This is too hard. There's no way we're going to get through this. Like, I don't even know how we're going to get this figured out. All of us have had those moments. We have those moments. We have those thoughts. But the cross changes what is possible. Because what is possible to us looking like this is a lot different story than what is possible with the cross. Because there was guilt and Jesus overcame it on the cross. There was shame and condemnation and Jesus overcame it on the cross. There was sickness and Jesus overcame it. There was anxiety and depression and Jesus overcame it on the cross. There was porn addiction and Jesus overcame it on the cross. There was prescription drug and marijuana addiction and Jesus overcame it on the cross. He overcame it all on the cross. He even overcame death. Later in this letter, the Apostle Paul says, Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where is your sting? Death has been swallowed up in victory, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Well, what do you mean? How can we stand firm in the midst of everything that's going on? Because of the cross. Because of the message of the cross. And the message of the cross is that Christ has overcome. He took it all to the tree. Willingly, was nailed to it, died, rose again on the third day, proving that he is God. The cross changes 
what is possible. And then finally, the cross changes how we are to live and how we are to die. I invite the worship team to please come, prepare. The cross changes how we are to live and how we are to die. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 is a well-known saying and teaching of Jesus, but is one that sometimes we misunderstand and sometimes we want to read right on past. Here's what Jesus said. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Does anybody here want to be a disciple of Jesus? Just so I know who I'm talking to. Okay. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Have you ever wondered what that means? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever wondered like, okay, this is 21st century, it's 2023, it's February, it's cold out. What does that mean to take up my cross? Hey, one of the benefits of those who were sitting down on those rocks around Jesus whenever he shared this, and he shared it multiple times, was that they immediately had a picture of what that means. It wasn't pretty. Try to put yourself in their sandals 2,000 years ago. You're sitting there, Jesus is saying, whoever wants to be my disciple, and there are people like, yes, he's handing out free food. He's healing people. He's helping people when they're discouraged. Yes. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. Whoa, 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 whoa. Because everybody sitting around Jesus on those days when he would teach this principle of the kingdom, every one of them knew. Whoa, 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 wait. They knew what carrying their cross meant. Think about it. What did it mean for someone in the first century to carry their cross? It meant that they were a dead man walking. Nobody's walking around with a cross. Nobody had a cross tattoo 2,000 years ago. If someone was carrying their cross, it is because they had lost all of their rights. It was because their life now was on full display walking through that street, and their death was imminent. There was no stay in that order. Imminent death. That's what picking up the cross meant to the people when he was speaking to them. Take up your cross. Like, what? Like, giving up my rights? I love my rights. Like, giving up my, my, my death is imminent? Recently, I read again about the Moravian Christians of the 1700s. They, they were known for prayer. They were known for a very simple faith, which resulted in worship and charity, and they were persecuted for it. But when they, as a people, became aware of the, the tragic and growing atrocity of the slave trade in their day, they began to ask themselves as they would gather, what does it mean for us to deny ourselves and take up our cross where we are right now, 1700s? We, 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 this, this horrible affront to God's ways called slavery. And, and they're like, what, what does that mean for us? Just like we're asking right now, what does that mean for us? Well, after much prayer, their bold and innovative answer was this. They would sell themselves into slavery in order to reach those who were enslaved. 
And on October 8, 1732, a man by the name of David, David Nitchman, and John Dober boarded a ship after selling themselves into slavery in order to head away from their home that they would never see again. History records that as the ship slid away from the dock, they yelled out with a loud voice, May our lives bring about the reward of Christ's suffering. May our sacrifice bring about the reward of Christ's suffering. They left. They became slaves in order to help slaves. They became slaves in order to help and reach slaves. Historians tell us that because of David and John and other Moravians that followed their example, around 80,000 slaves came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Is that remarkable? The cross changes how we are to live and how we are to die. I want you to ask yourself that question, or I should say, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you even right now. Right now. As we come to the, toward the end of the service. What does carrying the cross look like for you? What is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to be? What is God calling you to let go of or to pick up? What does carrying the cross look like for you? Would you think about that for a moment? What does denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus look like? It, it might be uh, setting aside one of your desires because God's desire is greater. It, it, might be, uh, it might be embracing God's heart for a person instead of just the heart that you've had toward them. What does picking up your cross and carrying that in your life look like? Because the cross changes how we are to live and how we are to die. Maybe for some of us it, 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 it calls us and beckons us to go from being a fan of Jesus, Jesus, go Jesus, you're awesome, to being a follower of Jesus, to being one who lives the book as his grace enables us. What does picking up your cross, following Jesus looks like? You see, the cross and the message of the cross and what Christ accomplished on that humiliating cross changes everything. Our past, our present, and our future of what's possible in our life changes the script on what's possible in our life and through our life. And it changes how we are to live the rest of today and tomorrow and the next day. Because when we come to the cross, our sins are crucified to it. We become dead to sin and alive unto God. We, as we come to the cross, die to self. Die to self. And Lord, help us. In that process of sanctification, of understanding that we are dead to sin and that we are dying to self. Paul himself said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I keep walking. I keep, I keep uh, going through the day. Yet I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, Christ lives in me. And Christ lives through me. You might be a teenager in this place and maybe picking up your cross, carrying your cross, denying yourself is, is honoring your parents. Maybe picking up your cross is forgiving someone 
I don't know all that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, but I do believe the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts as we are open to him. Because he wants to lead us in that. Not just to read a scripture, but to realize that the cross changes everything and even changes how we live and how we die. Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments and pray about what you just heard. If this message spoke to you, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to office at cccmidland.com or connect with us on your favorite social media at CCC Midland.